Scripture today is 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 20. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not, again, commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are besides ourselves... It is for God, and if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize that no one according to the flesh, even though, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the word to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Good morning. If you can uh, turn to Romans chapter 5, we come to a very interesting paragraph this morning. But before we start in that, I want to tell you a story. There are two ladies going on visitation, and uh, they're going to a a lady's house. Uh, One lady had never been there before, but the other lady had been there. And uh, so they got there, and the lady that was visiting for the first time was kind of taken back with the view of the house from the outside, and then went into the house and saw the first floor and looked around and said, oh my, you know, this house is not in good shape. And, uh, and the lady said, well, it's better higher up. And then she went up to the second story, and the second story wasn't that good either. And she, she goes, wow, this isn't very good either. And she says, well, it's better higher up. And then they got up to the third floor where the lady was, and they started visiting with her, and the lady that hadn't visited her before kind of started talking about her situation, about being in a house like she was in, and how terrible the house was, and how it must be terrible to be ill in this house. And the lady in the bed, uh, who couldn't get out of the bed, uh, said to the lady that was visiting her, it's better higher up. And she had a view of one day being higher up. And when we have that view of higher up, it changes how we view down here. And if you're here this morning, I've been praying for you to be here. And I hope you don't feel that it's by luck or chance that you're here. But this passage is meant for you. And I hope you get everything out of this passage 
that God wants you to get. Now, as we get started on this, you need to remember what we've covered the last couple weeks uh, about justification and how uh, justification comes to you and puts you in the standing of grace permanently and then also puts you in the standing of the love of God permanently. And last week we talked about the love of God. If you don't have the love of God, you're going to be a person that is uh, sick. You're going to be a person that's resistant to God. You're going to be a person that's ordinary among the crowd of people uh, that are resistant to God. And you're going to be rebellious. And then we talked about the change that takes place when you are in the love of God and in the grace of God. You will be a person that's bound to a sovereign God who controls everything, even the Sundays you come to church. And you're also, because of the love of God, you will be a person bound to a heavenly Father. You'll have a relationship with God. And third, if you are bound to love, if you're covered by love, you're standing in love, you're standing in grace, you'll be bound to a supernatural love from God, and it will change how you love others. The love of God, a person will be bound to a living Savior, a living Savior, a living Savior. Now, this morning, we're going to continue that thought that we've seen in chapter 5, uh, justification, uh, reconciliation, being at peace with God. We're going to continue standing in grace. We're going to continue standing in love, the love of God. And then we're going to talk about what God does. And really, what Paul does here is he seems to summarize what he's been saying in chapter 5. You could say chapter 3 through 5. You could say chapters 1 through 5. So it could be a summary of everything. Uh, I like charts. I figure things out by making a chart. Um, and, and one of the things I've done in the past is I've looked at the work of salvation and what God does for our salvation and then what he expects us to respond to that salvation and the work that he does on our behalf. And this paragraph we're going to look at, Paul will do the same thing. So either I follow his example or he follows my example. You figure that out. And he will write a chart for you. He will tell you about the things that God does for you to make you saved. And then he will give you two things that you respond to God because you're saved. And remember salvation, what we're talking about is standing in the grace of God and standing in the love of God. And if you stand in the grace of God and the love of God, you have these things that God has done for you. So, if you do not like the outline that I have for you there, draw a line across the middle of a paper. And above that line is what God does on your behalf in your salvation. Everything below the line is what you do in response to God's work of salvation. Now, there's a number of uh, theological questions that people have about this chart. When does it happen? 
When does God do things? When do you do things? When do you respond? When does God do something? And my opinion, which you don't have to agree with, but you can think about, is that God does his work before you even respond. My, and if you want, if you want just like split seconds, you can say split, split seconds. If you want to think moments before, if you think moments, if you want to think hours before, however you want to think, God does a work. And in this passage, you will see that God does that work while you are still a sinner. And then you, when you have this work done to you, you respond with the evidence or fruit that you are saved. Okay, everybody with me? Didn't confuse you too much, I hope. I hope. Okay, good. You all said in unison. Verse 9. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. <clears throat> much more than having been justified by His blood. Having been justified by His blood. What actions... Does God take to secure redemption for the sinner? What work, what actions does God take to secure the redemption of the sinner? Number one, God imputes justification to the sinner. God imputes justification to the sinner. Now, imputation means God does something and applies it to your account. Uh, in other words, it is done by somebody else, but it is given to your account. So God does his work of redemption, and what he has to do, he has to do work on his side of the paper so that you can be saved. So he does a work, and it's to your account. And the first work that he does here is he justifies you. He justifies you. Now, we've spent several weeks talking about justification, so we won't go into detail. <clears throat> but we'll basically say that justification is where you are declared righteous by the judge. You are declared righteous by the judge. Notice the verse, how he begins. Much more than, much more than. This is a normal uh, teaching way of that time period. He says something greater occurs, and because something greater occurs, something easier will happen also. Something greater happens, the lesser will occur as well. And what he's talking about here so far is justification will occur to you, which is a greater work. It will lead to something that will be an easier work. And if you want to know what that is, look at the end of the verse. You shall be saved. You shall be saved. If God can do the tougher, justifying you, He can do the easier, saving you. Saving you. Much more than. Our salvation and justification is greater than our being saved from the wrath of God. The harder ensures the easier. We are justified. Justification purchases not only salvation, but every spiritual blessing for both now and forever. Justification gives you blessings. 
How does justification occur? It occurs by the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. It occurs by the death of Jesus Christ. It's connected to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Our faith, our faith rests upon the atoning power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. Take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 9. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. This is a good verse. You've got to like this. You write in your Bibles, you'll put a star next to this verse. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. <clears throat> According to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with the blood. In the Old Testament, when the Levitical priest would do a sacrifice, he would shed blood of that animal. And by that blood, cleansing would be made. Notice the end of the verse. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There's no forgiveness of sins. So, turn back to Romans chapter 5. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the shedding of His blood on your behalf, causes the possibility, the privilege, the, the, the gift of justification to occur. So you got justification, you got the death of Jesus Christ, you have to have both. You can't have one without the other. You have both. Justification is given to you, you're declared righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the shedding of blood. Everybody with me? Number two. How much more then, having now been justified by His blood, shall we be saved from the wrath of God through Him? Wait, there's more. Justification comes and you get, God imputes salvation to the sinner. Salvation to the sinner. You are given salvation. He uses the word saved. He uses a very interesting tense. He uses future tense. So he talks about your salvation having a future point in time when you die and you go to heaven. That death will save you. The death of Jesus Christ will save you because you're justified. You'll be saved. And therefore, you will be rescued from the penalty of God's wrath. Future passive. This salvation comes to you. Just the thought that you think you can earn your salvation is a misnomer. Salvation is given to you, passive tense. It's a privilege given to you, a gift given to you. Salvation is given to you. The believer will be saved from the presence of sin, death, and judgment. Through Jesus Christ's atoning death, the sinner receives justification in connection with the death that's been accomplished, it's impossible that our being saved from the wrath of God should not follow. In other words, what I am saying is, if you've been justified, you will be saved. There is no doubt, there's no other condition you need to be saved. 
Your future salvation is guaranteed by the past work of justification. You re if you receive justification, you will be saved in the future from the wrath of God. You will be saved. Understand, if you are not justified, you are still standing in the wrath of God. You still have a future date with the throne of God where you'll be judged and fall under the wrath of God. The only way out of it is to be justified. Turn to Romans chapter 2, a couple pages to the left. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. Romans chapter 2, verse 5, which says, But because your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You are in the process of storing up wrath if you have not been justified. If you have not been saved, you are storing up wrath. You may think you're a good person. You may think you do good things, but those things will not take away the wrath of God. The only thing that will take away the wrath of God is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross where he shed his blood. So, two things. First, justification. Second, salvation. Both are given to you as gifts. Both of them have to be imputed to you, applied to your account, have to be in your checkbook, have to be given to you, have to be yours. But third, there's a third one. Notice verse 10. For while we were sinners, chapter 5, verse 10 for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We will be saved by his life. What actions does God take to secure the redemption for the sinner? Number three, God imputes reconciliation to the sinner. God imputes reconciliation to the sinner. We were enemies. We were enemies. By the way, earlier this week I was having a discussion about friendship. Talking about being an acquaintance or a friend or a best friend. And guess what? In our conversation about friendship, we didn't ever discuss enemies. But notice the discussion comes to us as an enemy of God when we're talking about our salvation. Remember last week we talked about helpless, being helpless before God, being ungodly, being a sinner, and now it gets one more step worse, an enemy of God. We are an enemy of God. We're not close to Him. We're, we're, we're not in the same camp as Him. We're an enemy. We're in the other camp. We are at odds with God. And while we're at odds with God, he imputes reconciliation, peace with God, peace with God. 
the term enemy is stronger than all the other words we've been looking at. Helpless, ungodly, sinner, an enemy. An enemy is a person that doesn't even come close to being a friend. A church father, I don't remember what year it was, 3rd, 4th century, somewhere in there. He wrote this. Listen to this. Everybody listen. Listen, this is good. This is good. You're going to have to put your hat on. These guys think a little bit deeper than we do, theologically. Listen. He said, quote, The God who acts on behalf of his enemies, the God who acts on the behalf of his enemies, will not be able to love his friends any less than that. That's so good. Listen. The God who acts on behalf of his enemies. In other words, he loves his enemies so much, he does the work of reconciliation. That love for an enemy will not be able to love his friends any less than that. That being a friend of God, you will get the same love that he gives to his enemies. He loves you so much that while you're an enemy, he reconciles you. He justifies you. He saves you. He does the work so that you can have a relationship with a holy God. God begins His work for, uh, by grace and justification. Then reconciliation is done while we were enemies. From being an enemy, we are changed into a friend by the work of reconciliation. It moves us from being at war with God, being in the wrong camp, to being in the right camp, being on the right team. <clears throat> Sinners have gotten themselves into a desperate situation being in the wrong camp. And they deserve nothing but the wrath of God. Now, I wrote a list of things about a sinner and his relationship with God. See if you agree, see if you want to add, see if you want to change things. Listen, the sinner believes that God has no place in this world. Okay? He sees no fun with God. The sinner sees no purpose for God. The sinner sees no logic for God. The sinner sees no evidence for God. The sinner sees no benefit for God. The sinner sees no money with God. There's no reason for having God in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 talks about the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit. You, as a sinner, as an enemy of God, are in the wrong camp. Your world is anti-God. But God, when He justifies you, when He saves you, when He reconciles with you, He brings you into the other camp, and you become a friend. You become a friend. Reconciled. That's being at peace with God. Through the death of Jesus Christ, God changes your status before Him. Turn to 2 Corinthians, where the scripture reading was. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to read, I want to reread one of the verses we read. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Verse 21. <clears throat> we have to understand this work of reconciliation. What does it do for us? What does it do? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, 
that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. Reconciliation is the reason a believer can have a relationship with a holy God. He makes you righteous by justification. He saves you. He gives you reconciliation. He brings you into the right camp. And you are in a relationship of peace with God. And you are in a state that you did nothing for. That God did everything for you. He reconciled you. Back to Romans 5. Here we go, number 4. Number 4. The fourth work that God does on your behalf. Number 4. Verse 10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Through the death of His Son. What action does God take to secure redemption for the sinner? Number 4. God imputes the sacrifice of His Son to the sinner. God imputes the sacrifice of His Son to the sinner. Through the death of His Son. Emphasizing the work of justification has to do with the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus Christ, the shedding of His blood are sacrificial terms that are used talking about the death of Jesus Christ on your behalf. The cross breaks down the barrier that keeps God and people apart. God took the initiative of sending His Son to reconcile you to Himself. God did the work. He had the perfect sacrifice. His divine Son. His divine Son came and lived under the law perfectly under the law, kept the law perfectly so that he could be a perfect sacrifice for you. And he shed his blood for you. He did the work for you. The passage seems to emphasize the deity of Jesus Christ. Five, fifth thing that God does on your behalf that doesn't even get to the point of anything you do. Number five, the end of verse 10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, again, using that logic again, going from the greater to the lesser. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. We shall be saved by His life. What actions does God take to secure redemption for the sinner? Number five, God imputes life to the sinner. God imputes life to the sinner. Much more, from greater to lesser, our salvation, our justification, our reconciliation is all done so that you can have life. God does the greater and harder thing so that you can have the easier, lesser thing accomplished and known for sure. You have life. You have life. You've been reconciled. You've been brought together together. Again, passive tense. God does the work. You shall be saved. Future passive. Again, looking forward to the future. Passive. All being the work of God doing in the life of the enemy. God, like God doing the work of reconciliation. Like God doing the work of justification. Like God doing the work of securing your future life. It's done by God. 
Because the atonement of Jesus Christ, the shed blood, destroying death, He arose in a resurrection life. The believer is saved, justified, reconciled. By the death of Jesus Christ, they are secure, reconciled, justified. And by the life of Jesus Christ, the resurrected life, we have life. Ephesians talks about you're dead in your trespasses and sins. God makes you alive through His Son. You are alive. So everybody with me now? We got a whole list here. God does the work of justification. He does it. Got the work of salvation. He does it. Got the work of reconciliation. He does it. Got the work of sacrifice. He does it. And He gives you life. He did it. All the work of God. All the work of God. That's God, 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 God. Showing His grace and love to you. You have been shown grace and love and you've been given five gifts that you could not earn on your own, that you could not attain on your own, that you could not buy on your own, that you could not do enough good things on your own to deserve it. You couldn't keep the law. You were helpless. But God does work on your behalf. Now, At this point, at this point in the chart, all these works God does on the top of the line. Now we're at the line. The line is where you are saved. Why are you saved? Because you've been justified. (laughs) You've been saved. You've been reconciled. You have a sacrifice, death on your behalf. You have a life. You are now saved. Now, If you have been saved, there should be some evidence of you being saved. In other words, if you're in this camp of the righteous (laughs) and not the camp of the enemy, if you're in the camp of the friend, there should be a difference between the people in the two different camps. Do you want to know the difference? Do you really want to know the difference? Oh my goodness. This is where you get your money for the sermon. This is where you get the difference between a poor preacher and a high quality preacher. This is where you get the money back. This is where you get the product back. Now, do you want to know what happens after you're saved by the work of God working in your life, what happens to you, how you show you've been justified, how you've been show you're reconciled, how you know you have life? Thank you. Yes, thank you. Verse 11. Verse 11. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the reconciliation. Whom we have now received the reconciliation. And this, not only this, 
but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. What's the evidence? What action does the believer take to give evidence of a redeemed life? If you are saved, if there's anyone saved in this room that can hear my voice, what evidence will you show in your life? This is not my chart. This is Paul's chart. Don't blame me. This is to be in your life. Number one. <clears throat> what actions does a believer take to give evidence of a redeemed life? Number one, the believer responds with continual joy. The believer responds with continual joy. The believer responds with continual joy. There is joy, 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 joy down in your heart. There is joy because God has done a work that you could not do. You could not justify yourself. You could not save yourself. You could not reconcile yourself. You could not sacrifice yourself on a cross. You could not give yourself life. But God did it for you. Therefore, you rejoice. Now, this is not the first time we've had this word exalt. We've had it earlier in chapter 5. Anybody remember where we had it? <clears throat> we had it when we were talking about tribulations. Remember that? Bad things. Woo. But we said that even believers rejoice in testing and trials and tribulation and hardships because God works those for our benefit. So you take a negative thing that's going to happen to your life this week. You are to rejoice then you take all positive things in your life this week, like salvation, redemption, justification, reconciliation, and you are to rejoice. If you rejoice about all negative things, if you rejoice about all positive things, how often do you are, are you rejoicing? All the time. There is not a moment in this week where you are not to be rejoicing. If you have been justified if you've been saved, if you've been reconciled, if you've had a sacrifice die on your behalf, if you have a life. Now, if you've not accepted Christ, yes, I would mope around too. But if you're a believer, in your trials and in your blessings, you rejoice for both. For both. If you exalt present tense continually, day by day, believers are to keep on rejoicing because they have peace with God and are looking forward to the day without the presence of sin. You rejoice every single day. The believer is called to rejoice in tribulations, now rejoicing in justification and reconciliation. You rejoice. Rejoice. You rejoice. Now, I understand some of you are not like me. I understand that some of you are quieter than me. I understand when we go over to the fellowship hall and we have lunch, that one will be louder than you, me. I understand that. 
But there is to be time where you are rejoicing. And you're to rejoice all the time. All the time. All the time. Do not mope around in this life. The Greek term literally means to keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing. There's no fear in the future of this week because of justification, because of the tribulation. You have joy. And every step you take this week, it will be joyful. The believers to be rejoicing in God. Rejoice, 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 rejoice. And if you rejoice, you will show evidence that you have been justified and reconciled. If you have a hard time rejoicing, I would check out whether you've been justified or reconciled. But wait, there's more. Number two. Number two. <clears throat> what actions does the believer take to give evidence of redeemed life? Number two. Look at the end of verse 11. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We have now received the reconciliation. This is good. This is good. This is so good, we're going to start the second part of the verse. Look at the end of the verse. We have now received the reconciliation. The verb there is received. We're going to start with this. Received. Aorist active. In other words, this is the first time we have an active verb in this paragraph. This is the first time where you get to do something. You get to receive reconciliation. You get to receive <coughs> justification. You get to receive everything that God offers you. Salvation. Life. Sacrifice on your behalf. You get to receive it. Let's put it this way. The believer responds with continual obedience. Continual obedience. The first day you obeyed God was the day you heard the gospel message. And that day you obeyed God. You received the gift he offered to you. You received it. You placed your trust in God and the promises of God. And you received the gift. You received the gift. You received the gift. And guess what? You've continued to obey. You know why I know that? Because of the part of the verse we skipped. Look at it. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. You have a Lord. You, if you don't like that word Lord, think Master. You have a commander-in-chief. His name is Jesus Christ. He is your Lord. He is a living, ruling Lord. He is on the throne. He is king of your life. He is the one. He's the covenant-keeping God. He's the one that rules and tells you what to do. If you don't know what to do, do what he says for you to do. He's your Lord. He's your master. He's your owner. He's your conqueror. He's your Lord. He's your Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the office bearer of the Messiah. He's your Messiah. He's the full mark of deity, Lord. He has a life that He showed on this earth, Jesus. He redeemed you by being the Messiah, Christ. Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 says, 
being justified as a gift from His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is your Lord Jesus Christ. He's your commander. He's your chief. He gets to tell you what to do. And you respond by saying, here I am, Lord. I'll do it. Here I am. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Here you go, application. Will I give biblical evidence of a redeemed life, demonstrating my study of God's Word and obedience to the commands for the church, and will I display joy in all areas of my life, whether good or bad events occur? I will rejoice. Will I give biblical evidence of a redeemed life, demonstrating my study of God's Word in obedience to the commands for the church, and will I display joy in all areas of my life, whether good or bad events occur? God loves you. He lets you stand in grace. He lets you stand in the love of God. And He justifies you. He reconciles you. He saves you. <clears throat> he sacrificed for you. And He gives you life. All He wants in return is your joy and your obedience. That's all. Since He's done all the work, it shouldn't be hard for you to do. But I know you. You know what you do? You complain. You complain. You read something in the Bible and you feel convicted that you should be doing it, but you say, nah. You complain. You complain. Here you go. I'm going to help you out. For those of you that complain about some of the commands that God tells you to do, you ready? I'm going to help you. There's a guy that came to his pastor. He complained about the nine people in his family living in a one-room house. He says, I got chaos, chaos, chaos in my house. And the pastor said, it's probably not as bad as you think. Oh, it's worse, pastor. I got problems, problems, problems. I got all these people in my house. Pastor said, okay, I want you to do something for me. For the next three weeks, I want you to take this goat and I want you to put it in your house. So the guy does it. He takes the goat and puts it in his house. The goat in his house causes more problems than anything else in the world. More problems than anything else in the world. Finally, he goes back to the pastor and says, I can't handle the goat anymore. i got to get rid of the goat. pastor said, get rid of the goat. A couple weeks later, he comes back and he says, life is beautiful. My life is so peaceful and great, I love it. pastor goes, what changed? He says, we got rid of the goat. I think sometimes... God brings in hardships into your life just for one reason. So that you would rejoice and obey God in the thing that you're disobeying God about. And He wants you to rejoice. 
And if you do, God will take that hardship and deal with it. And you will think life is so great without that goat in your house. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. Thank you, Father, for this passage. I pray, Father, that you would use it to challenge us on how to grow in our walk with you. Help us to grow in our faith. Help us to grow in our understanding of all the work you do for our salvation and all that you respond, you need for us to respond with. Father, help us to have joy this week. No matter what happens, help us have joy. Help us, Father, to obey your word. Help us, Father, to do what you say for us to do. Help us to obey those moral laws that you have for us in the word. Help us to do those things you've challenged us to do in your word. Help us, Father, to take that step of faith and do it. Whatever it is, do it. And then, Father, (laughs) thank you for all the blessings you'll bestow upon us and bringing peace in our life. Thank you, Father, that you've taken us from the camp of the enemy and brought us into the camp of the family with you. We thank you, Father, for all you do for us. Your grace is incredible. Your love is beyond measure. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I pray, Father, as we sing these songs, that we'll have a little bit of a voice that shows joy. Help us have joy, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.